Welcome to episode six of Coffee and Co-Read, your source for all things literary with Catherine and Kristen, where we believe there's nothing better than a hot coffee and an awesome book. Join us for our virtual book club where we take one book a month and dive into all the drama, adventure, and romance we can find. Hey, Kristen. Hey, Catherine. Uh, So this is week two of five of our huge undertaking uh, of a Sarah J. Mass book, Crescent City. We're doing A House of Earth and Blood. Yeah, so because we didn't really get into the houses um, last week, the different housing classes of Midgard, um, we thought that it would be good to kind of get into them today. Um, So we would kind of read through them and discuss which one we'd want to be in. So The House of Earth and Blood, which is obviously the name of the book, uh, encompasses shifters, humans, witches, ordinary animals, and many others to whom Cthona calls, as well as some chosen by Luna. So this is sort of Danica's house. Yeah, I don't really know, and I, I guess we don't really hear about what, like, what the two last parts mean, others to whom Cthona calls and chosen by Luna. Like, we never really hear. Yeah, so far. What that we means. Well, yes, so far. Right. Um, I mean, for me, this house, like, I don't think I would hate being in this house, but I feel like we have to specify, like, I wouldn't hate being in this house, but not as a human. Yeah, so for like sure. I, I wouldn't. But at the same time, it's just because I wouldn't want to be human in this world, period. Because they're treated very badly. Yeah. So, um, if I could pick, I would want to be a witch in this house. But it's yeah. not my first choice. Yeah. Of house. Yeah, I agree. I, I think I'd want to be a shifter of some sort if I were in this. If I had to be in this house, I obviously wouldn't want to be a human or yeah. an ordinary animal. <laughs> no. Can you imagine getting like pulled into a mythical fantasy world and that's what you're relegated to? You're just a um, mouse. <laughs> wow, there's like shifters, there's like otters that can deliver the mail, Aww. and you're a mouse. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's also the house of sky and breath, and that is actually the name of the second book. Uh, but the creatures in that house are uh, Malachim, which are angels, Fae, Elementals, Sprites, and those who are blessed by Solus, uh, along with some that are favored by Luna. So Luna sort of like sprinkles them in wherever she sees fit. Uh, however, Sprites were kicked out of their house as a result of their participation in the rebellion that Hunt also participated in. And was enslaved for. Uh, but a lot of sprites uh, refuse to sort of like accept it. Like they still believe that they are in the house. And I guess we should also say that like your house is sort of your source of pride. Right? Like it's it's your mm-hmm. social class system. Right? Yeah. I do find it kind of interesting that angels and fae are in the same house. Because they have such a feud on the go. Um, like throughout this book you definitely see animosity between them. And um, yeah, it's just kind of interesting that they're in the same house, but they kind of hate each other. Um, Yeah. I wouldn't really hate being in this house. I'd want to be an angel probably if I was in this house just so that I could fly. I, 
I have mixed feelings about this house because obviously we know that there are some uh, really good creatures in this house, really like awesome characters. Mm -hmm. But to me, the house in general seems straight up snotty. Mm -hmm. Like the majority of the angels that we encounter in the first book, not all, but the majority are jackasses. Yeah. They're very like, oh, we're so awesome and perfect. Same with the Fae. The Mm -hmm. Fae in this book are in general quite snotty. And yeah. as much as as much as I would like to be a fae, I don't think I'd be able to navigate like that mean girl attitude. Yeah. I'm terrible dealing with that in general as a human. So I can't imagine <laughs> I would be much better if I was fae. Yeah, and I feel like it's all about how much power you have with the fae. So it would be just a power battle more than anything if you were in this house. Yeah. So the third house is House of Many Waters, and um, that includes river spirits, the myrrh, uh, water beasts, nymphs, kelpies, nox, and others watched over by Ogenius. Uh, yeah. So if I had to pick, this would definitely be my house. Yeah. Yeah. I like. I I really like the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't hate swimming. Uh. And. Like, they just, I like, obviously they have their own stuff going on under the water, like, no doubt, but they just seem so removed. Like, they don't have to deal with the politics that all the other houses have to deal with against each other. Yeah. They're, like, they're just by themselves. And at the same time, like, one of the, I guess, mythological things in this book is that if you are a mer person you can only be out of the water for, I think, 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And if you are not back in that water, then you lose your fins. So it seems like they get to stay home a lot, which I I respect. Big fan. Big fan, (laughs) yeah. Staying home. Yeah. So yeah, so I would definitely pick this house. Yeah. I'm kind of torn between the last two. I think I'd probably be in this one because of like – swimming oceans mermaid sharks and all the other beasts that i love in the water and then obviously the cute otters are definitely a positive and like like you were saying like you're secluded and people can't come down there so (laughs) it's a good way to it's a good way to like storm off like i'm leaving and then you just go in the water they cannot follow you exactly i'd love that yeah (laughs) So the last house is the House of Flame and Shadow. Uh, so that has the Demonaki, Reapers, Wraiths, Vampires, Draki, Dragons, Necromancers, and I quote, many wicked and unnamed things that even Erd herself cannot see. Ooh. Spooky. <laughs> yeah. Um, like I said. I would want to be in in this house or the or the one before, but I I kind of feel like I'd want to date someone from this house. Maybe not like settle down with them, but like you know, a bad guy or a bad girl. I feel like it's the it's the type that I'd want to date for sure <laughs> in this world. <laughs> See, I feel like I'm way too much of a scaredy cat for this house. <laughs> like I yeah. keep thinking of like. 
I'd be the person of this house who like doesn't want to live with everyone else in the in the abandoned graveyard in the haunted house. I'd be like I'd be like, let's move into the center of town. And like I just picture like the Adams family, like everybody would be the Adams family and then I'd be like the weird peppy colorful one mm. that would like bop into the middle of the family and just not be the odd one out for I, being peppy instead of the odd one out for being gothy or something yeah i just i just don't think i would fit in at all yeah no i get that i i, I, I like the goth aesthetic so i feel like i could <laughs> uh yeah so those are the four sort of class houses of uh of this world uh and those are what we want to be in yeah so just a heads up we are not a spoiler free zone and things might get a little saucy so uh this week we are covering uh chapters 15 to 32 uh so we left off last time uh with learning a little bit more about um rune so Rune is one of our main characters, really. He is our female protagonist, Bryce. It's uh, her brother. Half-brother. Half-brother, yeah. He is um, sort of the uh, prince of the Fae. And he sort of revealed some things about himself. And that's where we left off. Uh, starting this week, uh, we have Hunt and Bryce sort of in an uneasy alliance. So they know they have to work together, uh, but neither of them are very happy about it. (laughs) So I just find that a lot of the first, this first little bit is them sort of like testing each other. Mm -hmm. So she doesn't want him to invade her space. Like she says... Nobody comes in her apartment except for Juniper and her parents. Like, not one person has stepped foot uh, inside. So she won't let him in because he's, like, has to be her bodyguard. She won't let him in. He's, like, stuck on a roof across the street (laughs) and, like, staring in her window, sort of like a peeping Tom. Exactly like a peeping Tom. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Now, he's doing it for her quote-unquote safety. Yes. And also because he thinks that she might be the one behind all of this. So, like, come see, come saw. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so they're just, like, testing each other. So she doesn't want him in her space. So she – his whole job is to sort of watch her and protect her. But she closes all of her windows so he can't even see into her apartment. Which is hilarious. It's like, you want to see? No way. Mm -hmm. But he also doesn't have a high opinion of her. And we sort of touched on it last time. He thinks she's a spoiled, rich princess who's like a party girl and like just not a good person. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, she thinks he's one of those like the term she uses alpha hole. So an alpha asshole, an alpha male who needs to, like, be in charge and possess people and, like, order other people around, Mm -hmm. which she hates. And I feel like rightfully so, because in – I feel like 
in literature anyway, we sort of romanticize um, these characteristics of, especially in like the fantasy genre, Mm -hmm. we sort of like romanticize, like romanticize possessiveness and romanticize jealousy and protectiveness. And like, to a certain extent, yeah, sure. But a lot of it is, is just not healthy. Yeah. I feel like Sarah J. Mass does a fairly decent job of like showing strong female characters that kind of balance out the male in, in her books. Or like she shows that there's a difference between being protective and possessive. Like she does a really good job, I think, of of differentiating between an alpha hole and just an alpha male, I guess. Yeah, I agree with that. But the whole point is she thinks he is one. Mm -hmm. She wants to avoid that at all costs. So she is purposefully like locking him out, keeping him far enough away. But, you know, it doesn't stay that way. (laughs) We also learn that, um, so she has a pet chimera named uh, Syrinx. Syrinx. Sorry. Yeah, named Syrinx. Uh, and one of the chimera's powers is that it can walk through walls. And like, again, I'm using a Harry Potter term, but only because I can't really think of another. It just is a good word. Teleport? A- <laughs> teleport apparates. Mm-hmm. So this chimera can like walk through walls and apparate, but it's really not that much bigger than a cat. It's Cute. adorable. I want yeah. one. Same. Although I don't think my cat would like him. But <laughs> but yeah, so I guess uh, she goes out to, uh, she goes out for her day. He is following her like he's flying above her and just essentially being her shadow for the day. Uh, he mentioned sort of to himself that no one else has his power. Like no one on record has his lightning power. Mm -hmm. So he's really unique and he's very gifted and sort of what makes him so desirable as a slave is that he has this really unique ability and everybody wants to possess that. Uh, But it means for him, he didn't have a mentor. He didn't have anybody teach him. So he essentially had to figure everything out on his own. Which is sad. Yeah. Um, so he follows her around. He gets a bit annoyed. He gets a bit annoyed because um, she sort of seems like she's like doing these frivolous things. Uh, like she goes to get her nails done. And he gets pissed off because he thinks that, you know, they're supposed to be solving this murder the murder of her best friend and she's just like wasting time. Like they should be spending time investigating. Mm-hmm. Um, she went, we find out later for, you know, specific reasons, but, but she just really enjoys pissing him off. So like she could tell he was pissed that she was doing it. So she just sort of takes a bit longer <laughs> And, like, just exaggerates everything to piss Mm -hmm. him off. And it's hilarious. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, me too. Well, she's just just, into what he already thinks she is. So it's just, like, it's so good. (laughs) 
It's yeah. his fault that he's he thinks that she's like that. His own stereotypes or prejudice or whatever. And she's just playing into it because she's like, if you're going to judge me, I'll give you worse. Yeah. 100%. And like, I don't know. She's just – I love that she's so defiant, I guess. Mm-hmm. And like she literally leans in to everything she knows people hate just to piss them off even more. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like her armor almost. Yeah. Like you can't judge her because she knows that she's not actually like that. So. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, uh, you know, we find out a little bit later that the reason why she went to the nail appointment is because the – uh, the vampire that was killed, Max. Uh, Maximus Tertian. Yeah, Maximus. Good old Max. Uh, his, like, girlfriend uh, worked there and did her nails. So she was, like, pumping this girl for information. And she gets a little, she gets, uh, she gets a little tidbits. Uh, they then sort of go to work. Uh, and, uh, Bryce goes down to like, there's the secret, there's like a secret library in the basement of the gallery, uh, which I want to own, by the way. A hundred percent. I would love to have a secret library. Yep. Actually, I'd love to have like a library, a not not secret library. I'd take any library, but can you imagine (laughs) having like a secret library hidden behind like a bookcase of, (laughs) Of like other, a, a, in a, a secret of library books. in a library. <laughs> yes. That'd be so fun. It would be. So down there living is Lahaba, who is a fire sprite. So she's like small, think like little fairy small, uh, but she's like entirely fire, but she looks like a human. She's like a little tiny human on fire. And naked. Uh, and naked, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, her clothes would burn away. Well, Anyway, so she is also a slave. She is owned by Jessica, the owner of the gallery, and she guards the secret volumes of books in the basement. And when I say guards, <laughs> I mean she's like a guard dog because the books are all like enchanted and have minds of their own. And they like sometimes want to get off the shelves and try and escape. So she has to like tell the books like, no, you don't get back on the shelf. And I think they say in the book that what's better to guard books than something that can literally light the books on fire. Yeah. Makes sense. And I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, so because the sprites join the angels in the uprising, like we said in the in our starter when we were talking about the houses, um, the Asteri punished them by forcing all sprites into servitude. So differently than, say, the angels, it's only the angels that participated in the uprising. Uh, Those were the ones that were made slaves. Sprites, the entire race was essentially cast into servitude. So any sprite that is born is then enslaved. It's like their entire race is now an enslaved race. Mm-hmm. So he has that same tattoo, the SPQM, on her wrist, in the same way that Hunt does. Um, we also learn that Bryce purchased Syrinx, the 
Chimera, who's living at her house, uh, bought him from Jessica. He also used to work in the gallery. Uh, but she bought him and like took him out of servitude. So now he just lives as her pet in her house. Um, apparently, Syrinx and uh, Lahaba are considered uh, lowers. So I don't know if it's like an intelligence thing. I'm not trying to be insulting to Lahaba here, but like, mm-hmm. is it part of the intelligence thing? Because Syrinx, the the chimera, he does act pet like. Like yeah. he doesn't act like he possesses the same amount of uh, sort of conscious awareness and intelligence as you know, the fully, like, you know, the regular people. Yeah. Lahaba doesn't seem to have that same sort of distinction. But I, I think that sprites are only considered lowers because of the rebellion. So it might, that might not be. But it does seem like lowers are basically animals that are different than common animals, like the animals we have here. I, I feel like maybe that's the distinction. Right. Um, so they're not given equal status as the rest of the Fae, but she mentions sort of Lahaba sort of says, um, Lahaba sort of is like, why can't you purchase me? Like you purchased Syrinx, you took him out of slavery. Why can't you sort of purchase me? And, um, I guess Bryce is sort of worried that if she does mention it, and say and says, I want to buy Lahaba. She's worried that Jessica, out of spite, will sell Lahaba to someone else, mm-hmm. just so Bryce can't get her. Yeah, and like we don't know much about uh, Jessica at this point, but I have not once, and again, like after even reading the whole book, I have not once gotten sort of that sort of nasty vibe from her? No, I feel like she's trying to seem nastier than she is. And I don't know if that's like a mistake in the writing. Like if she's supposed to be scarier than we see, but any, cause she does like she did, she did talk back to Micah in the last week's episode. Basically um, she did, talk back at him and like she's clearly a badass but i don't know i just feel like her threats i it's see i don't know if it's a writing thing or if it's actually like maybe she is supposed to be that scary and we should all believe it but i just don't no it, she just she seems like she's one of those people it's like rough on the outside but inside is like really made of jelly a chocolate chip <laughs> cookie inside very yeah. doughy. <laughs> yeah, right? That's what she seems like to me. So, you know, these, these you know, worries that she'll sell the Sprite, she'll sell Lahaba. Mm-hmm. If Bryce even asks about her, I don't know. Yeah. But that's what she's afraid of. So she doesn't sell her uh, or she doesn't buy her. Or mention uh, it. Yeah. Or mention it, yeah. Uh, we then sort of flop. So the book sort of... Um, hops around from uh, points of view. So we get Bryce's, then we get Hunt's, sometimes we get Rune's. So it jumps then into Rune's sort of life. Um, He lives in a frat house, essentially, is what I took from it. He lives in this mediocre house. 
with his two BFFs, Flynn and Declan. They've all been BFFs for like years and years. He seems like a really big party animal. And again, I feel like it's a common theme. Like I feel like it's something they all do. Like mm-hmm. he's drinking, he's doing drugs all the time. Like the same way Bryce and Danica were doing it. And like, I don't know if that's something that I would ever want to do. Like if I had a thousand years to live, maybe that's what it is. I'm just, I don't have that infinite amount of time. So I'm not getting bored. Yeah. (laughs) But I, I just can't see myself literally just doing substances all the time. So I just, I don't know. I feel like maybe if you're 75, like that's a... It's almost a full lifetime for a human. You might get there. I feel like I'd be more likely to do it anyway, other than the having people in my house and then like having to clean up afterwards. That part, I think I'd want to go to these parties. I wouldn't want to have to host them. The other thing that I find about this is like, yeah, Rune's doing the exact same shit that Danica and Bryce did, but Danica and Bryce were like demonized for it and it, it really seems like a very sexist thing because Danica was the party princess for doing this shit, but Rune's doing the exact same thing and he's older by 50 years, but apparently it's okay for him to do it and no one gets upset about that, but Danica and Bryce doing it, it's a huge deal. So yeah, it's gross. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, Bryce comes to visit him and asks him about somebody called the Viper Queen. The Viper Queen is sort of, I don't know if you'd call her like a gang leader. She's sort of like the ruler of the meat market. Uh, so like she is the one that procures a lot of illegal substances and she's in charge of getting them on the street. And like she's, you know, sort of the head honcho of the seedy underbelly that is the meat market. Mm -hmm. Uh, So she goes and asks him, like, do you know if she has an alibi for the night of Danica's murders? Like, do you think maybe she could be involved? Uh, Rune does not want her investigating the murders. He's like, stay out of it, which is sort of another like alpha hole sort of situation. Mm -hmm. He's trying to tell her what to do. Um, Which goes real well when you tell Bryce to do something. (laughs) Uh, He really, really doesn't like that Hunt is the one watching her, protecting her. I guess they had an an issue. An incident. An incident, yeah, where I guess Hunt sort of sucker punched him. Uh, So, you know, they, they, they don't like each other. So he's, imagine if someone you don't like has been ordered to, like, watch your half-sister. Yeah. And, like, protect them and be with them all the time. You wouldn't like it. (laughs) So, yeah, he's being a bit of an alpha hole. Uh, The reason Bryce asked about the Viper Queen is because she did some digging and made a connection from Danica to the Viper Queen. She wants to pay her a visit. But everyone's saying, oh, you know, it'll take ages to get in to see her. You have to make the request. You know, you have to put it, like, through the proper channels. Sort of the way, like, you know, if you're doing it, if you're, say, like, a civilian doing an investigation with, like, a a policeman. And they're like, well, we have to get warrants. We have to, like, (laughs) do all this and that. And 
she doesn't want to do it that way. Yeah. <laughs> um, but all of this like digging and her making these connections, Hunt is already sort of starting to change his opinion of her. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, she actually has been doing stuff like all the while. I didn't think she was, but she is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, he says like she's not as vapid and like vain as as he thought she was. Uh, that night, like he, him, and Room both were like, "No, you're not going to go see the Viper Queen. Like you're especially not going to go by yourself. We'll go through the proper channels and like get her. We'll have an interview with her, like a formal interview." So that night, <laughs> she didn't like that answer, so she tricked him. <laughs> She left her house without telling him. She snuck out the back. But I guess she got on her, like, electric scooter and rode it around. And he, she once she got to the meat market, he lands and's like, what the hell? Why are you sneaking out? And he's trying to be big and intimidating and, like, trying to intimidate her. And she's like, Oh, thanks for that. Like, I knew you were going to follow me. And now you look so menacing. No one's going to steal my scooter now. (laughs) So, like, it just seems like they're playing sort of like a game of like a chess, like a battle of wits. Like, he thought he was getting the jump on her by following her. When in reality, she wanted him to follow her that whole time. Mm -hmm. So, like, again, she's a lot smarter than she lets on to. Um. So, yeah, the meat market, again, is, like, a place for people to buy whatever they want. Uh, they could buy – and it, so not only do they have, like, regular food stalls, but they also have, you know, obviously drugs and alcohol and whatever, but also whatever meat you want. So, you know, you could – if you wanted a human, you could have human or a half fay or a veneer – Whatever, essentially, you could afford, they had. No matter the request, they could get it for you. Yeah, they made it sound like you could get some sketchy shit. Yeah. Um, So they're there for a reason. They go to buy this obsidian salt from a satyr. Obsidian salt. It's like black salt. (laughs) She manages to weasel the satyr down from 50,000 marks, which is the currency, to 10,000 marks and manages to score uh, an audience with the Viper Queen in the process because anybody who goes to the meat market and wants to buy that much obsidian salt, uh, which is like a special salt used for summoning demons. So anyone who wants to go and buy that much obsidian salt, the Viper Queen's going to know about it. She knows about everything that happens in her joint. So she... uh she has a nice she goes and has a meeting with the Viper Queen. So she managed to essentially circumvent all the proper channels, right? She didn't go asking for a meeting with the Viper Queen. She went to buy salt. The Viper Queen, though, came to her. So they still managed to chat. Uh the Viper Queen said they have nothing to do with she had nothing to do with the murders. Obviously not. Otherwise, this would have been a really short book. <laughs> uh True. she does have alibis uh i think she's her alibis were like her having like a like a orgy a giant orgy and she has it on a flash drive 
which is just hilarious. Like she knew this, like she knew it was going to happen. I I don't know. It just seems wild that you're just like, I guess she just taped it for fun. And then she was like, here it is. Yeah. I mean, I tape all my orgies. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. I don't have orgies, people. (laughs) But if I did. (laughs) (laughs) I would tape it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So Bryce sort of leaves a little bit dejected. Uh, So the next day she's at work and she knows she has to track Danica's last sort of movements on the last week of her life. She has to think about all the places she was, but apparently she says she can't stomach the thought. So she invites Hunt into the office to help her. She knows she has to do a list, but she's finding it really hard to to like remember. Um, we sort of get a little bit of insight into Bryce's situation. Uh, so I guess Hunt and and really the reader has sort of been led to believe that she has the money just because of Danica leaving her that really nice apartment. But uh, she's actually broke. She bought syrinx for 280,000 marks that she doesn't have so she's actually paying it off little by little to jespa like she's paying i guess jespa is just taking money from her check Mm -hmm. uh, every time she gets paid to try and pay it off um the apartment that she's living in so it was danica's but it was an investment property she put both their names on So that's the only reason why she has this like super fancy apartment. But like just the way that the writing is in this section, like she definitely has to have PTSD, right? Like Mm -hmm. she refuses to see a therapist. She's constantly just like empty and sarcastic. She doesn't do anything anymore. She doesn't do drugs or drink anymore. She doesn't hang out with her friends. She literally just works and then goes home. Mm -hmm. So it's like she doesn't want to, you know, like therapy and, you know, going out and being with your friends and everything like that is sort of it's ways to make you feel better. And she doesn't want to feel better. Yeah. It doesn't – it just seems like she wants to punish herself for the fact that – um. She didn't die. Yeah. For the fact that she's still alive. So obviously, yes, it's going to be hard for her to write that list because, you know, for her, it's almost like the death is still just as fresh as mm-hmm. if it happened yesterday. She's not letting herself heal. Um, Hunt sort of is starting to understand her even more now and and sort of looks at her with a bit of pity. And she says she doesn't want the pity. That's not something that she wants from anybody. Um, But, you know, I guess he can't help it. Neither can she. Uh, They get into talking about her family instead. I guess Hunt is sort of trying to help her think of happy things and distract her so she can make her list. Uh, So she talks about her family and how her stepdad um, had to serve for three years in the military. Apparently that's a rule that all non-lower, so something that's not considered a lower uh, peregrini, so those are aka humans, are forced to serve three years in 
the Asteris military. Um, so her stepfather had to do that. It's basically fighting against the human rebels. So it's it's literally the all all humans have to fight against the human rebels, which sounds insane. Yeah, they're fighting. It's like they're fighting against their own freedom. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, Hunt sort of starts sharing a little bit about himself. He is 223 years old, which is, I guess, young in Angel standards. Um, the rebellion that he joined was 200 years ago. That means he joined the rebellion at 23. Mm-hmm. And considering, like, Angels and Fae don't really consider themselves mature until they're like 50. You know, it's sort of like, it's like the 16, 17 year old kids who lied about their age to go off to war. That's what I, I sort of think of like, he he was the same. He was way too young, I think, to uh, sort of not only just let into the rebellion, but also he was given a command, like he was given Mm -hmm. a legion. Yeah. Uh, so with all that said, with their like first sort of authentic chat, she starts to write her list of places where Danica went. Uh, later on, her brother asks to meet at Luna Temple. She obviously doesn't really want to go because <laughs> her and her brother do not get along. The temple is for the goddess Luna. Uh, so I guess she's sort of the fae and the wolves claim her as their patron saint. So she's sort of like their deity almost. Um, There's been a lot of talk about the Luna horn and how it was stolen and uh, Rune's father wants him to find it. Uh, We learned that it was a weapon that was wielded by the very first starborn prince, Peleus. Uh, And of course, Rune is his descendant and is now another starborn prince. Uh, He used it when they made the crossing. So when they sort of split into this dimension and uh, fought for supremacy. I don't really understand what that means though. Like, so they crossed into this new world and he used the horn to fight for supremacy. Like, was he fighting against humans? Like, Because he's sort of made out to be this really, like, this really amazing hero figure. You know, he was the Starborn Prince. He saved everybody. He was this magnificent supreme being. He was so amazing. And he fought for supremacy. Like, was it against the humans living here? Because that's not cool, bro. Yeah. It's hard. Like, they don't really get into that but it kind of seems like that and but then i guess the only other thing it could be would be against demons like maybe during the crossing all of the demons were also led into the world and then they banished them out i don't i don't know but could be something like that it's hard to say yeah um we also finally learn what demon attacked and killed danica and her pack uh, so they call it the Crystalos demon. So the Crystalos demon was born from a collision of light and darkness when the starborn prince, Peleus, and the star eater, who we don't know anything about right now, just that he is the star eater, 
uh, battled for the horn. So they battled each other. They clashed. The uh, Starborn Prince's light and the Star Eater's darkness collided, and that made the Crystallos demon. Uh, apparently, it dwells in the depths of the pit where no light can get to it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I don't know, when I think of it, I just feel like it's a really big, giant, maggoty blob with clear eyes and teeth. Yeah. That's what I think of. And just like a big blob that like inches toward you. I, I do think of it as like kind of white and like maggot-like with like the rolls that maggots kind of have and then like some claws and clear mouth and yeah. Where are the <laughs> claws coming from? If it's a maggot, it has no arms. Well, it's like... Or you think it's a maggot with arms? I think it's a maggot with arms. That's so weird with, to think about. Like he's not just... I don't think he's just slithering around. I think he's like got claws. But okay. like I think he's got... He's like a snaky-like maggot body, but he's got arms, four of them, with some four. claws on them. Okay. Yep. That's my... Do you think he walks on his legs and arms, or do you think he slithers? I think he walks on his legs and arms, yeah. Very interesting. Okay. Otherwise, he'd, like, leave slime, I think. Oh, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. So, <laughs> the horn ended up uh, breaking in this battle... Because the Star Eater, again, we don't know who this is, uh, struck a fatal blow. So like a killing blow to Peleus. But Peleus used all of his remaining strength and the horn to banish the Star Eater and his armings and demons back to the pit. And he closed one of the rifts in the universe where they were escaping from. So then he died. But obviously that broke that massive amount of magic that he used broke the horn and it was not usable it was just sort of a a like a trinket mm-hmm. um now all the demons and everything are trapped in the pit uh, but the only way you can get them out is through summoning with salt black salt even imagine <laughs> <laughs> they all decide so hunt and Bryce and Rune are having this conversation. So they think that whoever is controlling the Crystallos demon, because obviously somebody has to summon it and make it do what they want it to do, uh, it wants to find the horn. And so they decide that if they find the horn and they have the horn, the demon will be drawn to them and come to them. Mm-hmm. They're saying that Chrysalis Demon can actually track the horn because it was born out of it. And Rune can also track the horn because his starborn power is attracted to it. Mm-hmm. So there are a couple of different ways that they're going to try then and, and try and find the horn and try and lead them to the Chrysalis Demon, which can then lead them to whoever's summoning it. Um, through this sort of interaction, we sort of get the sense that Bryce and Rune actually want to get along, like they want to be good brother and sister. But um, we find out at this point that during a fight that they had a long time ago, he called her a half-breed slut. Eek. Ouch, right? Like, (laughs) yeah, sure, say that to your sibling. That's so nice of you. And she must have been like a child. Yeah, like I don't think she was very old. I think she was like She might have been like- yeah, 16 is what I'm thinking too. Yeah. Um, 
this sort of mentality. So like, obviously she's a half breed, but he automatically calls her a slut because she's a half breed. So for Bryce, this is essentially like affirming the fact that she thinks he's stuck up like all the rest of the pure blood they. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of like a reoccurring theme, not just in Sarah J. Mass books, but like, yes, in Sarah J. Mass books, that a lot of the fae nobility think that they're better than everyone else. Mm-hmm. Because, and they're like stuck up snobs because they're like pure blood. Yeah. So like they are automatically better than her. And we see it a lot in the book, like just, you know, side glances from Faye looking down at her, like judging her because she's a half breed. And, you know, it's sort of just for her, for the fact that her brother said that, it was, I guess, even too- worse. <laughs> yeah. Like, can you imagine your brother like degrading you like that? Yeah, and it's obviously not anything to do with anything she had done because she's a 16-year-old girl. At that so, yeah, point, yeah. It's really shitty. Yeah. Uh, but it just reminds me, too, of, like, the reoccurring, like, it happens in Harry Potter, too, because the purebloods think that muggles and, uh, you know, they call them mudbloods are are inferior they think Mm -hmm. they're superior because they're pure blood so it's just like it's a reoccurring theme i feel like across multiple books yeah so i guess she goes home on her on her way finishes her work and goes to bed early it was a eventful couple of days (laughs) yeah so the next day bryce is obviously at the office again because all she does is work (laughs) and um Jespa calls her and asks her to transfer transfer a file to her. So Bryce has to go to Jespa's office to transfer this file. Um, while she's there, Bryce mentions a rifle called the Godslayer. Um, it's in four pieces, but it can easily be assembled. And Bryce knows that there's a six-inch engraved golden bullet in the safe. Um, which has the meat market motto on it, which is Momentum Mori. Remember that you will die. So this is kind of just something that pops up and you're like, should probably keep this in mind for later. Yeah. Um, it's like a <laughs> it's like a little breadcrumb. Yeah, definitely. So after she transfers the file over, Hunt calls uh Bryce about a new murder that um has happened like very recently. And basically forces her to go, even though she kind of tells him that she can't because she has to work and that she just doesn't really want to. And he basically forces her to go and she's about to have a panic attack. And he is so unobservant of her emotions and feelings. It's kind of a bit much, but she... I guess they get to the scene and she sees the body, which is obviously in pieces, just like Danica in the pack was. And um, she basically has a PTSD flashback. Uh, We find out that the body is the acolyte from the temple that they went to yesterday. um, And that's who was murdered. So that kind of just makes it all even worse because it's kind of pointing at them as something that, is connecting all the murders. Uh, Bryce already thinks she is because she knew 
obviously Danica in the pack, and she had just seen Maximus Tertian the night he died. So this is kind of just reiterating that it has something to do with her. But she isn't doing well there, and really she probably shouldn't have gone there because it is awful for her PTSD. Um, Rune is there, and he's like, what the hell, Hunt? You're an asshole. Like, why did you (laughs) bring her here? And kind of takes her away. And, 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 you know, like, I guess Hunt sort of then sees her having these issues at the scene and he sort of does feel a little bad mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, he feels a little bit bad that he forced her to go. I guess he, she's so good at hiding her emotions and seeming indifferent that he didn't realize that she was still so affected by, by what was going on. Yeah. But, like, at the same time, rightfully so, I don't care how many times I see a body ripped to shreds, I'm probably going to be upset about it. Yeah. Also, she's still super young. Like, it's not like she's seen a bunch. Like, he's been in war. He's been a slave and forced to do who only knows what. So, like, he's maybe immune to it, but she's still in her 20s. Like, she hasn't had to deal with all this shit before. Yeah. So Hunt and Bryce kind of have a bit of a chat um, and they they talk about the night that the pack died and she remembers seeing Hunt that night and that he kind of calmed her down. Um, and Hunt also kind of drops the ball and tells her that it was Micah that was in the alley, the angel that was attacked by the demon that she ended up saving. Um Micah didn't want it known that he was saved, especially since it was by a 23-year-old half-fay, half-human. So nobody had told her before then, even if the angel in the alley had lived or died. So she was a bit shocked to find out that it was actually Micah, which kind of tells you like what kind of shape he must have been in when she found him. Yeah, she was actually... Quite surprised. She was like, I did not recognize him at all. Mm -hmm. So while they're chatting, um, they briefly mention a phone hack. uh, And thinking back to what we heard in the interrogation room uh, when Bryce was being interrogated um, about what was on the phone, that really sounds awful. But we don't get a whole lot more information about it until later. Um, Hunt is really being an idiot during this conversation and he tells her that she's still a suspect, which is a terrible thing to say to her when she's super overwhelmed already and is like fighting off a PTSD flashback. So it's kind of just really dumb. Yeah. It's, uh, you know. I guess he's being suspicious and like rightfully so, but I feel like he should for being a like 200 year old somebody who's been all over the place. I feel like he should be a better judge of character. Like read the room, sir. (laughs) (laughs) He, cause I think he even like what he basically said was something along the lines of like, Oh, obviously you're not a suspect because of, how you're reacting to this. And she's like, what are you talking about? I was still a suspect up until now. Like, it's just, maybe he could have had that conversation a little bit better, but nah, bye. So she's 
incredibly overwhelmed and she decides to just go for a run because that's kind of how she copes now with uh with her emotions and she's just going for a run in flats and a dress and like I run a bit and I cannot imagine (laughs) running in flats and a dress like the thigh rubbing alone (laughs) would be (laughs) awful (laughs) Well, and you got to think too that like we've had the conversation that she is supposed to be curvy. Yeah. She's not super thin. So like, yeah. Her thighs are touching. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also can't pleasant. imagine. No, I also can't imagine that flats would last. I just feel like they'd like disintegrate in the street. Like I just all around sounds awful. It does. Sound, it sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> Uh, she stops running and we, um, we kind of get a bit of a flashback scene to the first time that Danica said that she loved Bryce. Um, they're clearly in a sticky situation and afraid that they won't make it out. And Danica finally looks over at Bryce and says that she loves her and that she's sorry. And, um, Bryce, and it says, let's go. And she tells Danica to close her eyes. So it's like super cryptic and we don't really know what that means. And we don't know what happens after that. Well, obviously Um, we, I mean, we know to a fact that they live, they survive their situation. (laughs) What? (laughs) I thought this was all a dream. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So they clearly lived through it. But other than that, everything else is super cryptic. (laughs) (laughs) so we get back to hunt's point of view now and um he's kind of being dumb in his own head again like he's like thinking about how he shouldn't have told bryce that it was micah that she saved and um he's like oh maybe if i buy her something pretty uh she'll she'll shut up about it and she won't tell anybody about it and it's just we obviously have been in Bryce's head, so we know how dumb this is, but it, it did kind of piss me off. And I was like, why are you still being so dumb when she shocks you at every turn at how put together and how much she knows? And like, you'd think that he'd learn something. And I think like they've been sort of working together for um, a few days at this point, like mm-hmm. maybe even close to a week. And yeah. like, they're together 24 Mm seven. Like again, you would think that he would learn a little bit about her and like realize she's smarter than she thinks, than she lets on. Yeah. Well, especially after the first time with the nail appointment, like clearly she was egging him on. He realized that. And then he was like, Oh, maybe I shouldn't think she's so dumb all the time. And then he just keeps doing it. And you're like, you had this conversation with yourself already. Like we're in your head too. I don't understand. Um, He does plan to apologize to her though uh, for taking her to the scene without thinking it through, which um, I appreciate that, but still he he could have thought about it before then. Yeah. But you know, nobody's perfect. (laughs) So he goes down to the white Raven club. Cause that's where Bryce had just walked into and he's obviously following her around. So the bouncer almost doesn't, doesn't let him in, which I honestly loved. I thought it was hilarious. That, um, this, that this big, like <laughs> huge angel dude, who's like super menacing and like the Umbra Mortis, the angel of death. 
<laughs> the <laughs> way Raven to- Bouncer is just like, nah, dude, you don't look legit. <laughs> Get to the back of the line. <laughs> <laughs> and he also just says that, like, in his head, he says that he's never been there before because obviously he doesn't have a life at all before he met Bryce. Um, Juniper and Bryce are inside. And uh, Bryce comments that she's going to have a liquid supper, which I know Hunt is making assumptions about, but I can't entirely blame him for this one because, like, you'd obviously think that she was drinking in this situation. Like, nobody says they're going to have a liquid supper if they're not having some alcohol. (laughs) Yeah, considering she just had, like, water in her glass. Yeah, I agree. Like she isn't helping, but at the same time, she says in she says that she's just reaffirming what everyone already thinks of her. Mm-hmm. So they yeah. think she's a party girl. She's gonna act like a party girl. He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't ask. He doesn't verify that she's drinking alcohol. He just he assumes that everyone else does. Yeah. I think if I was in his shoes in this specific instance, I would make the same assumption, though. Yes, for sure. Yeah. But I probably wouldn't go so far as to, like, grab her drink out of her hand like he does to be like, I hope you're at least drinking something good and then be like, oh, shit, this is water. Like, obviously, he had to find out somehow, but I think that was, like, incredibly rude to yeah. grab somebody's drink and steal her alcohol how dare you <laughs> right sir? i'd be like um i paid top dollar for this sparkling water sir <laughs> it just seems a lot uh bryce and juniper kind of leave the table after that bryce leaves because she's upset and then juniper kind of goes after to talk to her and while they're having a bit of a chat on the side rune shows up and he starts to talk to hunt Bryce looks over and sees them both, and she's pissed. She is like, why are these alpha holes up in my business? And she's basically about to go back to the table when the entire club just explodes. Um, Bryce lunges over Juniper to protect her, and Hunt gets to them and helps Bryce up, and she's in total shock. And she honestly was just so worried that the only friend that she still has in her life, Juniper was going to get hurt. That that was the only thing that she could think of when, when everything started happening. And uh, Juniper doesn't really understand that because she's made the drop. She's basically immortal. She can regrow body parts now. Like she's good. Bryce hasn't made the drop so she's much more vulnerable in this situation um and juniper (laughs) slaps bryce in the face i know there's like rubble everywhere a club (laughs) just exploded and she's like how dare you protect me snack i know i'm like bryce is hurt (laughs) (laughs) time and place juniper time and place yeah i get that she's pissed and i understand why even but i also understand where bryce is coming from but it just i don't think a slap was necessary there's literal body parts around them like (laughs) yes it's just people have been murdered (laughs) not laughing at that stop (laughs) (laughs) um 
So yeah, Juniper's obviously pissed off. And anyway, Hunt carries Bryce back to Rune's place because Bryce is so out of it still. She's shell-shocked, basically. Um, and Rune's place is nearby, so he tells them to go there and kind of wait for him because he's going to check into what the hell happened. Uh, so when Hunt and Bryce get there, Hunt cleans out her ears because they're full of blood because she has fey hearing and a bomb went off. So that had to have sounded amazing. Ruptured, really. some, <laughs> ruptured some eardrums? Really, though. And... Uh, and her knees, because I guess when she landed, she had skinned her knees or scraped them. And um, Bryce kind of explains to Hunt that Juniper is getting ready for a huge ballet season, and she couldn't let her lose that. Because if she had have gotten hurt, then she probably wouldn't have been able to practice. So she might have been replaced. And then she kind of made it seem like Juniper has something to live for and maybe she doesn't really. So that's kind of why she, she did what she did. Yeah. And I mean, it just sort of is, is sort of reinforcing this idea that, that Bryce really is living like an empty, Mm -hmm. like shell of a life. Definitely. Like she stopped dancing after Danica died she stopped like she didn't stop socializing because obviously her and juniper still hang out every once in a while but Mm -hmm. it's nowhere near what it was and yeah you know like this literally that is her life like danica and the pack was her life Mm -hmm. and it was it's gone so like she's living this like dazed half empty life yeah so hunt is still between her legs and he's surprised right he's surprised that she still has the scar from um from the night that danica and the pack died and he feels a bit guilty about his battlefield stapling but there's a bit of sexual tension here with him um staring at bryce's leg and (laughs) you gotta love bryce because she just comments that normally males aren't scowling when they're between her legs. And I respect that. <laughs> Good for her. <laughs> well, like, and then too, it's got to like relieve a little bit of awkwardness because he's mm-hmm. like, he's supposed to be like at her knees, like tending to her wounds. All of a sudden finds this like scar on the back of her legs he's like staring at it so like just imagine sitting there while somebody is like staring at your leg like it's gotta be a little bit awkward yeah for sure um rune shows up then to tell them that it was human rebels who smuggled the bomb in and they smuggled it in with some wine and there's a stamp on like the crate of wine that looks like a curved horn kind of like luna's horn So they're wondering if it all could somehow be related. And Hunt kind of thinks that maybe it's somebody else in Briggs' group of human rebels that is actually the one that that pulled this off. Because if you remember in the beginning of the book, Briggs' Briggs' whole plan was to blow up the White Raven. So somebody else has gone ahead and done it. So if it is humans, it's likely the same rebel group because it's the same plan. Right, but so Briggs is the human that Danica 
put in mm-hmm. jail and what the original murder is pinned like Danica's murder is pinned on him. He's serving like a life sentence right now in a jail. So it's obviously not him, but they because it is like the same plan, they're sort of thinking, well maybe it's um maybe it's just his group without yeah. him. Yeah. So Rune tells Bryce that the Autumn King knows that she's helping search for the horn. And um, I guess he had been talking to the Autumn King maybe since the club blew up because he says that since it's all so dangerous now, uh, Bryce needs a live-in guard and Rune volunteers. But Bryce would very much rather not have Rune live with her. So cramps, she cramps her style. <laughs> yeah. So, so she says that Hunt is going to stay with her, which is like kind of nice. Instead of sleeping on a roof across the way, yeah. he can stay in her apartment. So that's really sweet of but her. It, I will say that I found that this took a lot less convincing than I thought it would. Like she's so stubborn and she's so private about her space. Yes. That like – the fact that she agreed to it so quickly, like, yeah, Hunt is going to stay with me. Like, it almost makes me wonder why she agreed to it in the first place. Because, like, her whole thing is pissing off the Autumn King. Mm-hmm. Like, it's what she likes to do and she hates his guts. So why would she agree to it so quickly? Like, maybe she's okay with Hunt being between her legs. Maybe. I think it was also that like he could force her to take a guard and she kind of wanted to choose somebody who she knew they would hate but couldn't really say anything about because obviously he'd be a good guard but they don't really get along so right but yeah um rune asks if he can come to um jespa's secret library to peruse the books uh, because he has starborn powers and he thinks that something might jump out to him that uh, that they might not have looked at yet. So Bryce surprisingly agrees kind of quickly, but she wants a favor in return. She wants um, Declan, so that's Rune's, one of Rune's best friends and roommates, uh, who's a tech guy at her disposal. And she asks Declan to hack the archives for Danica's last movements before she died. Her last like official movements from like her patrols. Yeah. I kind of assume that they have trackers of some sort. Yeah. Or people. I was thinking you're, you're thinking so like advanced. I was literally thinking that they had like a spreadsheet schedule and be like, okay, you're here. (laughs) You're scheduled to be here. And then they just check the cameras. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. So we're in Ruin's point of view at the moment. And we kind of get a bit of a more about him and the Autumn King. And um, the Autumn King kind of threatened him, I guess, um, for telling Bryce about the horn and his search. And um, Rune knows the bloodline's ending with him, so he doesn't really care about the Autumn King's threats. He's like, what can he really do? The bloodline's ending with me anyway, so it doesn't really matter. And he also kind of explains that he used to worry that 
because of what the Oracle said, that the bloodline is ending with him, that that meant that Bryce would die. Um, But since she isn't accepted as part of the bloodline, he isn't really worried about that anymore. Yeah. So the the Autumn King refuses to acknowledge and legitimize her birth. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, she technically isn't a part of the family. But I feel like that just so like does that mean he's gonna die? Do you think the Oracle like the bloodline, or do you think that just means he's not gonna have any kids? I kind of when I first heard it, I kind of just thought that it meant that he wasn't gonna have any kids, but. At the end of the book, I'm kind of not really sure anymore. Like, once you finish the first book. Yeah. I'm not really sure what it means, because obviously everything changes. Right. Um, Hunt and Bryce make their way back to her apartment, and Hunt kind of starts to empathize with Bryce a bit. He kind of realizes that she's punishing herself for living, kind of like you said earlier. Um, he asks if, uh, Bryce and Danica were lovers because of the fact that she's so upset over the death and hasn't really processed it at this point. And Bryce kind of just explains that she and Connor were complicated. They had so many years of... Will they, won't they? Yeah, dancing around it and then kind of finally deciding to go ahead and then that same night he dies so not only did she lose her best friend but she lost someone that she really could see herself with it in the future and like i feel like it's such a i don't know i feel like they danica and bryce have a really unique friendship because it almost Mm -hmm. seems like they are surrogate everything for each other so like they're best friends but they're also surrogate siblings for each other they're also Mm -hmm like play surrogate maternal figures for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, they are literally each other's entire world. And I feel like it cheapens it a little bit to ask if they were lovers because like, of course, it just the way they make it seem like, oh yeah, because of course you can't have that sort of relationship with anybody unless you have romantic love for them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they I can, do. They can be each other's entire world, which they were. Mm-hmm. And not be romantically involved. Yeah. I think it also kind of shows you what kind of life Hunt had to. And that he didn't have any friends. And the only person that he could imagine being so distraught over losing was a lover. So I think it kind of shows you how sad his life was up to this point. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Um, Hunt explains then that he needs to solve this case because of his debt and the bargain that he has with Micah. So he's kind of starting to trust Bryce a bit here, which is nice. Right. For sure. Yeah. So he tells, he explains that he's got like a, a life debt of like over 2000 people that he has to kill. And apparently Micah said that he'll, He'll put that number down to 10 if they solve the case. Yeah. Which is a big motivator. Definitely. Um, he also finally apologizes. And she kind of reassures him that he's not an asshole. Which I kind of disagree with after the parts that we were in his head and the stuff that he was still thinking. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I guess there's other people that are more assholes than he is. At least he apologized. But... But I, I also feel like 
maybe she's referring to a type of asshole. Like Mm -hmm. her entire life has been surrounded by alpha holes and those snooty, uppity, like class is everything assholes. Yeah. Hunt is not either of those. No. He was treating her like crap because he thought she was shallow and vapid and like spoiled. Mm -hmm. So he was treating her not nicely, but like it wasn't because of her race and it, he wasn't, he wasn't a jackass to Lahaba or to Syrinx. Like, yeah, he wasn't treating lesser class citizens poorly, which is so common for this world yeah, that I feel like that's sort of her baseline for asshole. If you know yeah. what I mean, yeah, for sure. Um, so they cut. They both go to bed, and Hunt is staying in the spare room. And I guess her parents normally are the only ones that really stay there because she said earlier that Juniper and her parents are the only people that come to her apartment. So Hunt sees some family photos, basically, and he sees that Randall who is a war hero and a sharpshooter, is Bryce's adoptive father. And he's kind of shocked to see that and finds it interesting because he knows who Randall is. And he also sees a photo of Bryce and Danica, and he realizes that Bryce's leather jacket that she uh, wears a lot, really, uh, used to be Danica's. And that's something that is obviously important to her. And... uh, the photo kind of shows them a bit beaten up and the reader can kind of connect that maybe this is after that situation that they got themselves into. Um, Hunt wakes up to the smell of a male in his room. And I kind of just love this part because it's, it's Syrinx. And I just thought that was super cute. <laughs> I, can I just say that I feel like Syrinx, there's going to be such a good, I feel like Syrinx has a story. Mm. And I feel like she's laying out little breadcrumbs for his story. Mm -hmm. But I like, I cannot wait to figure out, like, I feel like there's a lot more that meets the eye. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we don't, we don't even really know much about Chimera in general. So Um, it's late in the morning. So he's kind of worried that Bryce left without him because normally by now she'd be on her way to work. But when he checks on her, Uh, He kind of goes to her door and has a look to make sure that she's still in her bedroom. Um, Juniper catches him. So Juniper has a key into the house and kind of just comes in and is like, what are you doing staring into Bryce's bedroom watching her sleep? And he (laughs) has no shirt on at this point either. Yeah. She sort of thinks that maybe something's going on between the two of them. Yeah. Which you would. Yeah. (laughs) And listen, if I came into an apartment and found a half-naked handsome man – I wouldn't be upset about it. No, definitely not. (laughs) And Juniper's not. (laughs) No. Uh, Juniper and Bryce have a a bit of a chat in the room and we're in Hunt's point of view still. Um, He's kind of overhearing it while also getting some coffee ready. So uh, Juniper says that Fury is going to come back to try to hunt down whoever bombed the club. And Bryce is pissed because there's a clearly a bit of a rift between her and Fury. But I feel like Juniper kind of has a point here. Uh, she she kind of says that they all lost Danica, 
And it, it wasn't just Bryce's loss. And like, obviously people process that differently. And it's, it's obviously shitty to not talk to your friends anymore, but clearly Fury was going through it as well. So but it, I do it's, think it's a good point. But at the same time, I also feel like, and we sort of figure it out a little bit later. Like I think Fury and Juniper have much closer relationship. Mm-hmm. So it was sort of like the two sets of BFFs coming together to make a, a foursome yeah. of friends. But it, it always seemed like Fury and Juniper were sort of a, a twosome and then Bryce and Danica were a twosome. So Fury and Juniper like obviously are still quite close, but it's like Fury – I don't know. It just, I agree. Like, yes, everyone processes loss differently, but in my mind, like if somebody is calling you and texting you, they obviously need you. And like, I don't know. I just feel like it was a shitty thing to do to not to like, yes, of course you're processing your loss, but it's not fair for you to still keep contact with one friend and cut out the other. To me, that seems like a little bit of a dick move. Yeah. Like it's punishing – like that's what it seems like. I know that's not what it is. Yeah, that's that's what Bryce feels like it is. And that's what we obviously feel like it is at this point too as readers because we're in Bryce's point of view. Yeah. She does feel put out by it and like it's completely understandable why she feels that way. Um. Hunt is a bit worried about Fury coming back uh, because he's just... She's a secret spy, an assassin. Yeah. He doesn't know if that's the thing that's going to help everything out right now is Fury coming back. Um, Juniper leaves for practice, but she leaves them some croissants as a peace offering. Well, leaves Bryce some croissants as a peace offering because she had slapped her in the face uh, the night before. (laughs) delicious Um, yeah uh hunt basically grills bryce on who has keys to her apartment and demands that he get a set which i feel like is super unnecessary like why does he need to ever be at her apartment if she's not there why would he ever need a set of keys just don't think i think that this is clearly something that he knows is going to set her off but he can just let it go he doesn't need a set of keys yeah Anyway, it just I didn't think that that was necessary. Um, she gets into kind of why he's an alpha hole, and she kind of lists off a bunch of stuff that he does, apparently. And he says, because she gets into that, they just want to take you for like a month-long sex marathon, basically. And he's like, says that he doesn't want to fuck her. And you're like, really? Mm. I call bullshit on that. You, you kind of do. But then I like that he snaps it back on her and then calls her out for like snarling. And he says that she's the one that goes around with the lack of clothes on because she does. Um, And she would definitely be the alpha in any relationship that they had. (laughs) I will say, though, I don't think he's quite like I think they've had like moments of attraction. I don't think they're all he's all the way there yet. Mm, no, I think that he would still sleep with her if it wasn't an assignment that he like had to stay on. Um, they discuss Rune and she talks about the fight that they had uh, when she was younger. 
And she kind of knows that Rune was only trying to be protective and that he didn't mean all the shit that he said. But that kind of pisses her off even more than what he had said. So it's kind of showing that he was being an alpha hole, as they like to say. Um, and that's kind of why she she keeps pushing him away. Yeah. Bryce says that she hates her father more than anyone in the world. And Hunt admits that he hates Sandriel the most out of anybody in the world. Um, she kind of says that she's there to talk to if he ever needs it because Sandriel is actually coming to town soon. So she wants Hunt to know that like she's there for him basically. And, um, it's just another moment of trust building between them. I guess they pass by the disc, um, on their way to Bryce's work and she says that when she was a kid, she made a wish for bigger boobs um, at the disc. And uh, I kind of hope she's telling the truth because that is such a teen thing to do. And I, I love it. <laughs> I'm sure I would have wished for the same. <laughs> I definitely would not have. <laughs> well, you not need to. <laughs> no, no, that's true. That's not something I ever would have wished for. I don't even know what I – do you know what? No, I have no idea what I would have even wished for as a teenager. Probably like a famous boyfriend or something like that. Like a Backstreet Boy? Yeah. <laughs> or like Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Oh, or- JTT. <laughs> <laughs> or like somebody like that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, Rune comes to the gallery and they uh, they get Danica's last locations from Declan. And they see that she was at the temple when the horn was stolen. So they kind of think that she could have been murdered for seeing who took it. Um, And then Rune's powers, uh, basically he peruses the book and his powers kind of tell him to look at a romance book, essentially. (laughs) (laughs) Which Bryce finds hilarious. Uh, But it does end up being helpful. So they find out that the Luna's Horn needs Starborn power to use it. And there's only currently one Starborn person uh, that anybody knows about. So that's Rune. So whoever wants it would need him to operate it. And it's also cracked, um, as Kristen said before. But cryptically, it can be fixed by light that is not light and magic that is not magic. So it's kind of obviously super cryptic about how it could be fixed, but I guess there's hope that it could be fixed. I don't know if they're not really hoping it can be fixed, but. Well, I guess, I guess they're sort of their, their issue is like, why would somebody want to steal it if they can't, if they don't know how to make it work? Yeah. So obviously somebody's figured out a way to make it work. Yeah. So they kind of are wondering why two different people are looking for it. Because clearly somebody stole it in the first place. And you'd assume that that person knows how to fix it or knows something. Mm -hmm. And then also there's somebody who sent the chrysalis demon after anybody who's had any information or contact about it. So clearly there's two separate people. One who has it and one who's looking for it. Yeah. Which is really odd that 
at this moment in time, there's two people <laughs> looking for this artifact that used to just be in a museum that anybody could see at any time. So. Yeah. And it wasn't even really guarded that closely. No. Um, Hunt thinks that maybe the Oracle can help kind of give them some information on Luna's horn. So he wants to go see the Oracle and is like, Bryce, we should go. And Bryce and Rune both refuse to go. They both basically say that they had terrible experiences <laughs> and never going back. Which is funny because the way they've sort of described the Oracle is it's sort of like just a tradition. It's not really important. It's not serious. You really just go to sort of figure out maybe what kind of career you mm -hmm. would do well in. And like, that's it. But then both of them had these like really traumatic experiences and they're like, <laughs> we're not going back. No. And Hunt is like, oh, guess I'll go alone. So... <laughs> He um so they kind of decide that's their next step. And um they're down obviously with the books now and Lahaba's there and I just love every scene with her. She's such a sweetheart and she obviously has great taste in men, uh, because she's both in love with Hunt and Rune. And I'm in love with Rune, so <laughs> I love her for that. <laughs> she's just so sweet and I just love all of the all of the moments with her. I mostly love her. I do. She does get on my nerves in a couple of scenes, like when she's really whiny and like, mm. you know, sort of like, let me see or like, let him in, let him downstairs. I want to see him. Or like, you know, sometimes, yeah. sometimes she's like, why couldn't you buy me? Like she, bitch, she feels guilty enough. Like, you know, but I will You're say, expensive. <laughs> I know yeah. you shouldn't cost anything as a being, but <laughs> yeah, you're expensive, ma'am. You can't just go buying people up in here. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> you know, but um, for the most part, I also really enjoy her. But I yeah. also feel like you said she has great taste in men. I feel like she rarely sees a man. <laughs> so I feel like any would do. That's like fair. I don't I don't even think she has a taste. I think man is Touché. just a taste. <laughs> Good point. Although I think that they're both super hot. So Yeah, so her like first two in like the past however many years she's been in that <laughs> basement, so, like the first two men she's seen, she got she did well. She got hot for. Ha ha ha. Because <laughs> she's fire. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um so I guess it's um, lunchtime now because they're going to go to the Comidium to see – to, sorry, pick up um, Hunt's – some clothes for Hunt so that he can basically go live at Bryce's house. And uh, on their way, they stop to get Bryce a new phone because um, hers was left at the club when it blew up. So she is looking at Hunt's phone while she's waiting for hers. And she kind of comments on his photos because they're all gory and like crime Murder scenes. <laughs> and there's nothing. She's like, you didn't even take any pictures of food. Like, what are you doing? It's also so like reminiscent of that's us right now. That's our society right now with our phones, like taking pictures of our meals and yeah. like selfies. Can you imagine finding somebody and literally all they have on their phone is like crime scene photos? And like life. five of them in yeah. four years, like 
It just, it's, yeah, it's a lot. So she, she snaps a selfie, of course, and it's kind of a bit of a cute moment that they have. So they go to Hunt's room to pick up his, yeah, in the the comitium to pick up all of his clothes and some weapons and crap. And he tells her that they kind of have a conversation there about a few things. And she asks if he um, regrets the rebellion and like, he's, not really able to speak freely. I don't think you can really speak freely anywhere in this place because uh, no. there's always cameras. Yeah. Um, but he also tells her that if Micah dies, his replacement gets all of Micah's assets, uh, which would include Hunt because he is technically um, one of Micah's assets, which is horrifying. Um, but he also mentions that whoever is the replacement would likely not keep to the bargain. So it's not in Hunt's best interest for Micah to die, basically is what they get down to. And that's, and that's not even just the, like say the 10 deaths, if he solves the case, that's the 2000 deaths at all. Yeah. Like if whoever inherits him could decide, no, that's garbage. We're just going to keep you. And he can't. Yeah, could do anything. Could they sell them. Could do anything. <laughs> um, so they basically go back downstairs to kind of leave and go back to Bryce's work, and we get to one of my least favorite scenes. Um, it's funny because my two least favorite scenes are literally in the lobby of the comedium. Um, but this one <laughs> is when Sandriel shows up. And Bryce kind of acts like just a total tool and she's taking pictures and acting like her outward vapid and ridiculous show of a self, basically. And I know she's doing it to help him because he's kind of stunned and he doesn't kneel down, basically, is he's just frozen because this is basically his abuser just walked in the door and he's just shock in shock probably some ptsd for him as well yeah but it's just such an embarrassing scene and i just would not be able to do it myself (laughs) um and then he they basically get up and walk towards the elevators but micah comes over and asks bryce out which i just was like this is not the time or place man (laughs) like she shoots him down and he obviously didn't think that she was going to shoot him down. She just says not interested in his face. And clearly he did not think that that was the answer he was going to get, or he wouldn't have done it in front of a room full of angels plus Sandriel. So it's just like a lot all at once, but I do, I appreciate that she's a total boss and she just says not interested and they well, kind of just get you away. Know, considering he can apparently conjure orgasms just by whispering in your ear. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Cause he's hot at this point. I just think of him as like a crotchety old ugly man, but he's, he's apparently hot he's as shit. Smoking like, like more beautiful than everybody else combined. Yeah. It's uh wild. <laughs> um, Sandriel seems like she might have taken notice of Bryce. And I think Hunt kind of says it in his head that Bryce kind of has a target on her back now because of that stunt. So that's definitely something 
that maybe Bryce doesn't realize, but it'll probably come back to bite her. Uh, they, they took the elevator up and now they have to kind of fly. <laughs> they don't have to kind of fly. Um, they have to fly back to the apartment yeah, because they can't go back downstairs and like <laughs> be in front of all those people when, uh, Micah just sort of was embarrassed in front of everybody. So yeah, they're trying to avoid Micah and Sandriel. Yeah. So they have to fly back to her apartment and she's completely shit baked about it. She's like so worried, which is relatable. Like, see, I would not be worried about this at all. I'd be more worried that he wouldn't be able to lift me. I'd be like, too heavy. Please do not try. (laughs) (laughs) But like, he's a strong angel he must have superhuman strength i know i'd be like let me just grab some like (laughs) some bungee cords and i will attach myself to you and then then you can fly me anywhere but first seat belt (laughs) so we can be safe safety first um you know i just i would just like hop in his arms and say let's go come on (laughs) Fair enough. Um, so they they get back to her apartment, and basically, almost as soon as he's back, they wanted to like have a chill night and watch the sunball game, have a beer. And uh, Hunt gets gets a call from Micah, and he gets a job, and he knows that it's basically just punishment for the scene that they made in the lobby. I feel like this is sort of our first crack in Micah's sort of shell. Because up Mm. till now, we've had a very reasonable Micah and like he's been sort of considered fair and like a a decent person as all things go. Like in terms of, you know, he has slaves, but oh, you know, he's making deals with them to eventually give them their freedom. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think Hunt mentions at one point that he's going to try and convince the Asteri to let um to give Isaiah his freedom and yeah. like he's, he's been sort of played as this nice person. A and decent. This, yeah. And this is sort of our first look at him actually being a vindictive asshole. Yeah. Yeah. And Hunt, Hunt leaves obviously and gets somebody else to watch her during this. And he has and to go, sorry, he has to go and torture somebody and kill them, which is nice. Yeah. yeah it's real sweet. And he basically just, comes back defeated and a huge mess. And you can see that there's no way he would ever be able to get through 2000 more murders. Basically like he wouldn't survive it mentally. I don't even know if he'd survive 10 more at the way he is dealing with this one. So it's definitely a little show into how he's holding up. Yeah. And that's how we end this section, which is, a little bit sad. <laughs> yeah, we don't. It's not ending on a happy note at all. It's ending on Hunt being emotionally fragile after just torturing and murdering somebody. Yeah. Good time all around. <laughs> yeah. So that wraps it up for this week. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us and share your thoughts or anything you heard in our episodes, or if you have any book suggestions, you can email us at coffeeandcoread at gmail.com. And be sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Coffee and Co-Read. 
So next week, we're going to be reading part three of House of Earth and Blood. Uh, That's going to be chapters 33 to 51. So make sure to follow along. And if you're enjoying this, don't forget to follow, rate, and review wherever you find our content. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you on the next page.